morning is simply the Christian's true rest. The Christian's true rest. Let me begin by saying this. The statistics show that we're working more and more and more. A few decades ago, Monday through Friday, were work days. And everyone had the weekends off. Those who did not have the weekends off were typically young people or people who were working a second job. Weekends were spent at the beach or at the park, doing chores around the house, running errands, and of course, most importantly of all, attending church on Sunday, the Lord's Day, with your friends and family to worship God with God's people. But things have changed. The modern era pushed people into believing the lie that says someone is only defined by their employment or their annual, annual income. So people worked more, and demand and competition increased, and that quickly followed up with the necessity of a college education. Now, I'm an educator, so I'm a strong advocate for education, but not everybody is made for education. Well, soon, as a result of this trajectory, the dinner table was replaced by microwave dinners. Conversations were replaced by talks. Sports and extracurricular activities were replaced with programs that demanded your attention and allegiance seven days a week. And suddenly, we didn't have weekends anymore. Because who can do all of that in five days? Eventually, no weekends meant no church or sporadic church at best. If there's no church attendance, then that means we aren't worshiping God with God's people. And once we're not worshiping God with God's people, soon after that, soon we aren't observing the standards that God gives to his people to observe, to acknowledge. In the environments that we are participating in continually dull us and rob from us that spiritual edge that we had before when we were regularly participating in worship of God with God's people. But now we are regularly participating in the worship of other things. Sports, annual salaries, friends that have to have brunch on Sunday for $36.99. Whatever other stupid thing takes the place of this most holy hour. Before you knew it, the family unit began to collapse. It only takes a generation and a half or so for there to be a marked difference once church attendance and the Sabbath become neglected and or ignored altogether. And if you turn on the news or thumb through Instagram or Twitter, you are very quickly introduced to the fact that we see the ramifications of this in our society and in our culture. But that's not all. Then came technology. And since the advent of technology, we have been robbed of our time at home. 
Now not only have we been convinced that we don't have to go to church to do church, but we've also been sold this idea that, namely, we can work all the time now because technology has converted our home into a home office. So we went from five days a week with two days off and Sunday being a special day, the Lord's Day, to seven days never stopping, to seven days and seven nights never stopping because the emails never quit and technology has given to us the opportunity to do more work than we ever did before. Expectations have robbed us of our rest. Schedules have robbed us of our rest. Anxiety is robbing us of our rest. Sin robs us of our rest. And so today, we don't see rest. We see restlessness. Amen? But God commanded us, and I quote, observe the Sabbath. Observe the Sabbath. And God hasn't only made us to work, worry, and wonder about what's happening around the next corner without stopping every now and then and resting. And what's more, resting in him, church. Our minds, and more importantly, our souls need space to rest and recuperate, space to collect and to consider, space to pray and to find peace. Who doesn't want that? Well, God's built that into the way he expects us to live our lives and manage our responsibilities. I love what Hebrews chapter 4 says. You can listen as I read. Hebrews chapter 4 says, So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God has rested from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. That's such an interesting statement. Strive to enter the rest. Let me put that in their vernacular. Work to get into God's rest. <laughs> it's an interesting phrase, but the author of Hebrews is telling us that God's got something for you and me, church, in Christ, namely rest. And we should organize our schedule, organize our responsibilities, take our hobbies, our interests, and everything else that falls upon our shoulders by way of burden, and say to those things, I refuse to forfeit my rest in Jesus. Because when I forfeit my rest in Jesus, I become compromised. My peace becomes compromised. My soul becomes compromised. This is an important point for all of us, church, not just you, but me as well. And therefore, I want to share with you three simple points by way of questions today. And these are the questions I would like to ask. What is a Sabbath? 
Why should it be observed? And thirdly, is it still in effect today? What is the Sabbath? Why should it be observed? And thirdly, is it still in effect today? Let's begin with our first question. What is a Sabbath? What is a Sabbath? Well, first, let's ask the simple and preliminary question because what does it matter if we answer every other question but we get the first one wrong? What is a Sabbath? And furthermore, if I might be permitted to ask this question as well, what are we supposed to do with it? What, okay, God has this thing, observe the Sabbath. Even if we define the Sabbath correctly, the follow-up question is relatively important too, I think, amen? What am I supposed to do with this thing God gave me? So let's begin at the beginning. First, make a note of this. The Sabbath is a simple reference to a day of the week. At this point in history, Deuteronomy chapter 5, it's known as Saturday. In Hebrew, the word itself means to desist, to cease, to stop operation. That's the literal meaning of the word. Furthermore, to repose. That's a word that we don't use anymore. We might say it like this, to recline, to relax. That's what this Hebrew word means. That's the gist. According to the fourth commandment, the Sabbath is to be observed or or, or, or kept or, or honored. But what's more, this day isn't only to be honored because it appears in the Mosaic law, the law of Moses, alongside other commandments, which, of course, that bears its own weight, doesn't it? And sure, this makes it arguably more important than, say, other laws that don't fall in the Ten Commandments. But this day is also to be honored because it's rooted in the creation narrative itself. I know many of you are already familiar with this. If you'd like, you can turn there to Genesis chapter 2. If not, just listen with your ears as I read. This is what Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 say. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, and made it holy. This word meaning special, unique, set apart. It's not a word that should bring to your mind images of stained glass windows and candles. That's not really, yeah, we we use the word holy, and sometimes we think of of sanctimonious items like, like those. But the reality of the matter is the word holy has a root meaning, and it means special, guys. It means set apart. It means marked apart from everything else. So so what God is doing here is he says, he blessed the seventh day and made it special because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. It's just a special act done by God. Not because he was tired. Not because he was weary. And not because he needed rest. This situation is not relaying to us a situation in which we might say, well, God was tired, so he says, well, since I'm so exhausted, I'll just relegate this day to a rest day and let everybody else have a rest day too. You know, like when the boss wants to take a day off and he's like, hey, we're not, closing the, we're not opening the office today. We're going to close the office today. 
That's not what's happening. Listen to what Psalm 121 verse 4 says. Psalm 121 verse 4. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Church, the Bible says God doesn't slumber or sleep. The Bible says God doesn't get weary and God doesn't get tired. So our God is neither of those things. He's not exhausted. He's not sleepy. He's not in need of rest. Nevertheless, our God created us and knew that as our creator. While he didn't and wouldn't need rest, say amen if you're listening, we would. We would. But I want to push this point just a little bit further, and we'll expand on this in a moment. Not only did he know, as our creator, that we would need the rest that he never needs. But as our creator, he also knew that we would never find that rest anywhere else but in Jesus. Hold on to that thought, and we'll elaborate it on elaborate on it, excuse me, a little more later. So the Sabbath is that, a day marked apart by God, not only in the Mosaic law, but also in creation, so that we see it before the Mosaic law was even spoken. God has a principle of rest for his people, and we might say even furthermore, borrowing from Hebrews chapter four, not just a day off, but a day off with the intention of pursuing and resting in him. Why should it be observed? This is our second point. What is the Sabbath? And we've addressed that question. Now, secondly, why should it be observed? Now, go with me again, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. Let's, what our palette again with this text, it says this, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. As the Lord your God commanded you, six days you shall labor and do how much of your work? Oh, man. If you can't do all your work in six days, you might not be overwhelmed, but you are overworked. The seventh day is a Sabbath, a repose, a rest, a desist, a stopping day to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do how much work? Any work. You or your sons or your daughters, uh, you cannot delegate the work that you wish you could do. No, no, everybody needs rest, the creator says. Even the animals deserve rest. He goes on. He says, you or your son or your daughter, you can't send the boys out to cut the grass on the Sabbath. That's not fair. They're allowed to have rest just like you are allowed to have rest. Your ox, your donkey... Your livestock, so even the sojourner, somebody who is not a Hebrew but is living as a Hebrew among the people, not even that person, he or she, is allowed to do this because a Sabbath is a Sabbath is a Sabbath. Because we're not only talking about the Mosaic law, remember, the Sabbath is built into creation. Verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, that your Lord your God brought you out from there, I love this, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. I think that's like God's way of saying, don't test me, man. Just do what I told you to do. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. 
Okay, so why should it, the Sabbath, be observed? Good question. First, the Sabbath should be observed because God commands his people, and I quote, observe the Sabbath. I hate to do this to you, church, but but I'm going to do it to you because sometimes it's this simple. Why do we do it? Because God told us to do it. So many things that we deal with in life would be eradicated if we just took it at face value. Why do we do it or why don't we do it? Because God said to do it or said not to do it. The Hebrew word for observe there in verse 12 of Deuteronomy 5, observe the Sabbath, it's a simple word in the Hebrew. It means to keep. It means to be watchful. Sometimes it's translated to be careful. I think you get the gist. We should observe the Sabbath. In other words, we should watch it. We should look out for it. We should take care to keep it. And by observing the Sabbath, what exactly were the people of God to cease from? We understand they're supposed to stop doing all their work, and, and, and nobody, not even the animals, is really supposed to work that day. Everybody's supposed to have a day off in that regard. So what does the Old Testament suggest or teach us about this non-work? Well, there's a few things. And if you want to rattle these off, I'm just going to share a handful of them, and I'm not going to go too slow. So if you'd like to, in Exodus 35 and in Numbers 15, Exodus 35 and in Numbers 15, We are told that on the Sabbath, they are neither to kindle fire or collect firewood. No kindling of the fires and no firewood. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 21 and following, they are not to carry heavy weights. In Exodus 16, And in Amos chapter 8, they are not to travel long distances or to trade. I think you get the gist from what's being said here. God doesn't want them carrying on business as usual. It's not that they can't have a fire. It's that they can't have a Sabbath day without planning the Sabbath day. The idea being... All of that stuff should be arranged so that when the day comes, all you're doing is enjoying it. It's not that you can't do anything at all. In a word, it's it's worship and family time. There's nothing said about extracurriculars or anything like that. It seems to be generally applied to the work that we could have and should have done the previous six days. We shouldn't be putting off onto the Sabbath, what we could have got it done if we would have planned and managed our time better. Second, the Sabbath should be observed because it positively influences other things that are deemed biblically important. The Sabbath should be observed because it positively influences Other things that are deemed biblically important. Let let me share this with you by way of a text. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 3. In Leviticus chapter 19, verse 3, very interestingly, there are two things considered in tandem. They're put together, not separately, but together. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 3 says this. Every one of you, how many of you? 
Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father and keep the Sabbath. I am the Lord your God. You see that? These are two things, but they're tied together. You shall reveal, not reveal, sorry, that would be inappropriate. You shall revere your mother and your father, and you shall observe the Sabbath. I am the Lord your God, which is to say this, young people, you don't have the right to disrespect your parents. You can disagree with your parents, but you can't disrespect your parents. There's a lot of stuff happening in our communities right now. And most of you know how I feel about the absence, the absence of fatherhood and the degeneration of the family unit in our country. When you consider what is happening in light of that truth, you kind of say, well, what, what are we surprised about? We've got boys growing up, beating up kids, beating up girls, walking into stores and walking out with things that don't belong to them because nobody stopped them when they were young and said, what do you think you're doing? That's wrong. You don't disrespect people like that. You don't disrespect people's work like that. The reality of the matter is these two things are considered in tandem, and the reason the Sabbath is commanded is because observance of the Sabbath positively affects other things that are deemed good in the Bible. Going to church and worshiping God with God's people is a good thing. Don't be surprised if you neglect the priorities that should be yours as a Christian if the other things that are priorities as a Christian start to collapse and crumble. Get in church. Get in worship. Get in on Wednesdays. Get in on small groups. Get in on anything that you absolutely can. I've been to church three times in the past six months. And for you, that might be stellar. For you, that might be stellar. I don't mean that in an ugly way. I'm being, I'm being frank and honest here. For you, that might be stellar. Can I, but I'm going to say it to you plainly like this. God expects more. God expects more. God expects more because your sin is so serious. That's what it takes to change. A commitment level to God that is unmatched in any other way of your life. Now, some of us are dealing with things. We have health issues. We've got people worshiping online today. They have health issues. They can't be here. That's, I'm not talking to you. Some of us have people at home that we take care of on a regular basis. They require us. They rely on us. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking about people who stay home because the grass is getting long or they want to finish painting their house or, or they got an invite to this, that, or the other thing or let's be candid and honest they're just too tired to go worship God today. God commands us. Why should we observe it? Because God commands us. You need another reason? Okay, I'll give you another reason. Because not only does God command us, but, but other things that God commands are positively influenced by the observance of the Sabbath. But thirdly, Why should we observe the Sabbath? Well, quite simply, if we were to 
take the Holy Scriptures at face value, then we would have to conclude that the Sabbath should be observed because the commandment is found in the Ten Commandments. This commandment is found in the Ten Commandments. Now, now, now follow me back to verse 12. It reads, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, and you remember what holy means, special, unique, set apart from everything else, as the Lord your God commanded you. He's not asking you. He's not asking me. He's saying, if you're going to be mine, here's the deal. And, and, and church, this is, where, this is where we just, we sell a false gospel to people. Say this prayer, mean it with all your heart, say it again, meet it with all your heart. And if you mean it with all your heart and you say it four times, then you're going to be saved. And, and this is not the gospel. The gospel is, you want to be saved? Yeah, follow Jesus. That's the gospel. Yeah, you don't just follow him in a work sense. You follow him because you trust him, because you believe in him. It's not, a, it's not an insurance voucher. It's a commitment. It's dedication. God says, I command you to observe the Sabbath. Therefore, we observe the Sabbath. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day, uh, you're going to rest. On the seventh day, you're going to rest. I want to share with you a couple of quotes. One author writes, The Sabbath day was every Israelite's opportunity to honor God, not only by giving time to praise, learning, and witness, but also by showing practical compassion to others. Another author writes this, the object of this cessation from labor and coming together in holy convocation was to give man an opportunity to engage in such mental and spiritual exercise as would tend to the quickening of our souls and spirit and the strengthening of our spiritual lives. You get the, 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 the gist here. The, the idea that, that we are supposed to stop from everything else because this is the time that we set apart. God honored it. God commanded it. Other things in our life are positively affected by our honoring it. And thirdly, it's found in the ten. So if we're going to dumb down anything else, it's not going to be the ten. The ten are the ten. There's no way avoiding or working around the centrality of the principles that are contained and what we refer to as the Ten Commandments. So we've talked about what a Sabbath is. We've talked about why it should be observed. Thirdly and finally, let's answer this question. Is it still in effect today? Is the Sabbath still in effect today? Well, finally, I think this question is important and pertinent to us as well. Is the fourth commandment, the commandment to observe the Sabbath, still in effect today at this time and point in history, especially, say amen if you're listening, especially for us who are Christians? We, we Gentiles who were grafted in. Is the Sabbath still to be observed by us who are Christians, we Gentiles who have been grafted in? 
Well, I think that's an important question for us. In fact, it's a question that has caused division among many ranks within Christianity. And to answer this question, what I would like us to do is to go to where all of our questions are found. Not, in the, not only in the Bible in general, but as Christians in the New Testament in particular. So turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 23 to 28. It's an episode, or a pericope, if you will, where Jesus is dealing with a situation that is particularly involved with the Sabbath. Mark, chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. Once you get there, let me know by saying amen. Amen. Read with your eyes, if you you would, uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 23. This is what God's word says. One Sabbath. You see that? Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, the disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, Why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbaths? Okay, so they're walking through a grain field, and they're just kind of plucking a little snack, and they're they're basically saying, oh, they're harvesting. They're, They're literally harvesting the field. Look at what your disciples are doing. It's unlawful for them to do that on the Sabbath. Maybe overplaying their hand just a bit, right? Okay, follow me here. Verse 25, and he said to them, have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, this is a reference to 1 Samuel chapter 21, by the way, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, And he ate the bread of the presence. They would always bake fresh bread. And it was sort of a representation of God, which is kind of interesting because if you you go through the Gospel of John, John chapter 6, verse 36, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. So, So within the responsibility of the high priest was this constant refreshing of this bread, which represented the fact that God was our sustenance, And God was present. And so he says, well, you know, Jesus says, you're really not supposed to eat that bread. But when King David was was on the retreat and he was hungry and in need, the high priest, Abathar, he he gave him what was unlawful for him to eat, except for the priests. He also gave it to those who were with him, verse 27. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man. Not man for the Sabbath. And so the Son of Man is Lord, even on the Sabbath. This is just one of those amazing texts where Jesus cuts through all the fog and gives us a very clear and precise teaching. Under our first point, we learned that the Sabbath was rooted in creation. You remember that? Genesis chapter 2. The Sabbath was rooted in creation. But furthermore, here in Mark, Remembering that sub-point that we discussed under our first point, what is the Sabbath? From Jesus' own lips, we learned that the Sabbath was made for man. 
not man for the Sabbath. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is simple. You listening? God didn't create us to protect a certain day of the week. God blessed a certain day of the week to bless the crowning act of his creation. That's you. The Sabbath was not a responsibility given to us. The Sabbath was a blessing given to us. There's two different perspectives, church. The Sabbath isn't the greatest good. It's not the final point of all things. The the Sabbath rounds off the first set of commandments, right? You shall have no other gods. You shall not make idols. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord, and you shall observe the Sabbath. And the reason that is there is because here's the point. If we're not having any other gods, and we aren't making graven images of, of false gods or to represent the God whom we supposedly love and worship, and we're not misusing our language to disrespect God or disrespect his name, then we should be practicing worship. And we should be doing that with other people who are like-minded. This point is so important, but so misused and misunderstood that historically we have record of Israelites who have been slaughtered in battle because they were attacked on the Sabbath and they refused to fight back because it would be constituted as work. I don't think this is what God meant. Let's go a step further. Follow me to an epistle called Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. We already get this perspective from Jesus, namely that the Sabbath is more than just a day. It's a principle. And that things that you would say were unlawful have happened on the Sabbath and without Repentance. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Colossae. And when he's writing to the church at Colossae, this is a mixed group. There are some Gentile Christians and there are some Jewish Christians. And as you might imagine, different cultures, different histories come together. They're worshiping the same Savior, but they've got a different background. So some people are saying, well, listen, uh, we need to observe the Sabbath. Or, or, hey, why isn't our church doing this feast or that festival? So on and so forth. Or we might even go a little further and say, uh, no ham sandwiches. No ham sandwiches at the church. And then the Gentile Christians are saying, I really like, I really like a ham and cheese sandwich. Look at, what, look at what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. He says, therefore, let no one. How many? Okay, let me ask you this question. Does Paul say they can pass judgment on you if they're your senior? No. Does Paul say they can pass judgment on you if they have more verses memorized than you do? No, no. Let no one pass judgment on you. Let no one pass judgment on you, church. Let no one pass judgment on you on what? In questions of food or drink. This is not some superfluous phraseology that he's using. Oh, food and drink. That sounds catchy. Let me put that in there. No. There are people in the church who are saying, you can't eat a ham and cheese sandwich. And Paul's saying, 
If you like my whole pork, eat it. Because Jesus fulfilled the law. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Not only did he have uh, black beef, moros and, and mojo pork, he had it with a beer or a glass of wine. And Paul's saying, and? Drunkenness is forbidden in the Bible. We cannot negotiate on that point. But the word drink here is completely unnecessary if he's talking about what kind of water the options are. Avion or public spring. Don't let anyone. How many? Nobody. Nobody can judge you on this matter. Don't let anybody judge you in matters of food and drink. What's more, don't let anyone judge you. Here it goes. With regard, follow me, church, with regard to a festival, which is Old Testament teachings, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. No one can judge you in regards to a Sabbath. In the New Testament, it says. Which is important. Here we are, church. The words of the Apostle Paul are clear. No one can judge you or me in regards to a day. They can't, regard, they can't judge us in regards to a day. Now, does that mean that there shouldn't be a day that is relegated to worship and celebration and honoring our Lord and Savior? I think emphatically not. And I think that because while we are taught in the New Testament that the Sabbath day should not be elevated above other days, but rather viewed as a blessing from God to be enjoyed and appreciated, we see other teachings in regards to this matter that lead us to believe Sunday is our day of worship. Follow me to these verses, if you would, please. These are a number of New Testament teachings, and I'm going to share them with you. Uh, I think they're going to come up on the screen. We got all three of those there? Yeah, okay. So if you want to just make a notation of this in your notes, then you can do that and follow with me. The first is in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, the apostle, uh, excuse me, the apostle Paul is going to teach. Luke is recording what is taking place. Luke wrote the book of Acts. And as he's recording what's taking place, this is what he says on the first day of the week. This is Sunday. On the first day of the week, we gathered together and broke bread, and Paul talked with us, intending to depart the next day, and he prolonged his talk until midnight. You think I'm long. <laughs> you know what this sounds like to me, guys? This sounds like a worship service. Everybody got together on the first day of the week, and, and they broke bread, Lord's Supper, which we're going to do today, and Paul preached, and he preached for a long time. And when did he do this? When did they get together on this? The first day of the week. Look at what Paul says to the church at Corinth. This is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Now, a little bit of historical background. The apostle Paul went through three missionary journeys, and as he went through these three missionary journeys, he preached the gospel and planted churches. But part of what he did in the midst of these missionary journeys is he collected funds from the churches that were healthy enough to offer funds. And then he took those funds back to the Christians that were in Jerusalem because the Christians who were in Jerusalem were being persecuted. You know how, you know how like Fauci said, if you don't get the vaccine, you can't go to work. 
You know how that guy did that, right? Okay, that's what they were doing, except if you're a Christian, you can't go to work. That's persecution. Now, some, some of you go to college. Some of you are in college classes. Some of you have family members, and they say, oh, I don't believe anything that you believe. And you go, oh, that's persecution. No, that's not persecution. That's, that's disagreement. Persecution happens when you are forbidden to do what anybody else is allowed to do because you're a Christian. That's persecution. That's what was happening in Jerusalem. The Christians were not allowed to go to Publix. They weren't allowed to have a job. When they were driving on the road, they said, oh, you're a Christian? Oh, you can't, no, the toll is not 50 cents for you. It's $2.50 because you're a Christian. Oh, don't mouth back to me. I won't let you on the road at all. This is the persecution that was taking place. And of course, beatings and murder as well. It was very, very extreme. We see it in the book of Acts. So while the Apostle Paul was going around planting churches and preaching the gospel, those churches that were healthy enough to give, he collected from them. And when he collected from them, we learn at the end of the book of Acts, he took this gift to Jerusalem. Now, in preparation for his coming, this is what he writes. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints... As I directed the churches in Galatia, so also you are to do. On the first day of the week, which means the church is getting together on what day? Sunday. When you guys get together on the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, which is to say some of you can give $10, some of you can give $100. Whatever you've got, please give to this collection. The saints need it. So the collection is important, but for the point we are addressing this morning, I don't want you to miss the force for the trees. When are they getting together? First day of the week. Follow me now to the Book of Revelation, chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Revelation, chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. The apostle John is exiled on the, isle, on the island of, of Patmos because he's a Christian. This is persecution. They basically put him in jail on a little island by himself. Well, according to God's providence, that was his plan because while he was on the island of Patmos, God gave to John the vision that we call the book of Revelation. But what's interesting is his choice of words when the vision is initiated. Chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, the Apostle John says, I was in the Spirit when? On the Lord's day. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book. And that's the book of Revelation. So that's a pretty amazing and, 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 and interesting verse. But what I want you to see, again, not missing the forest for the trees, is this. The God gave John this revelation on what he calls the Lord's Day. Now, what we see, church, is this. In the New Testament, there was a pivot. And whereas Saturday was the Sabbath, when the Lord raised on Sunday... The entire New Testament practice pivoted to acknowledge the day that the Lord was risen from the dead for everyone who believes in him and everyone who ever would believe in him. So we celebrate on Sunday because that's the day that we worship the Lord who raised from the grave. Now, a follow-up question might be, well, what about those groups of Christians that worship on Saturday? Saturday. 
For example, there's a group called the Seventh-day Adventists. And the Seventh-day Adventists was a group started essentially by a woman named Ellen White, who was what was called a Millerite before that. That was basically a, a, a group that said in 1844, Jesus is coming back. And of course, Jesus never came back. So they kind of left the Millerite and started their own thing, which eventually became what's called the Seventh-day Adventists. And by at her own admission, Ellen White had over 2,000 visions from God, one of which was the Ten Commandments in the sky with a fire ring around the fourth. And that's how Seventh-day Adventism kind of started. For me personally, that's a wobbly start. But I'm not saying Seventh-day Adventists are not Christians. I'm not saying there aren't people in the Seventh-day Adventist movement who don't believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior and just worship on Saturday. I'm not saying that. What I'm giving to you is not my own preference or my own opinion. That is a historical fact. If you want, go look it up. They worship on Saturday because they say things like, well, God so honored the Sabbath that he didn't raise his son. That is, God didn't work on Saturday. He raised his son. That is, God worked on Sunday. Wow. This is interesting positions that they have on some of these ideas. Now listen, again, I'm not badgering Seventh-day Adventists, but what I will unhesitatingly say is this. The very thing that Jesus and Mark and the apostles in Colossians and Acts and Revelation were fighting against in the New Testament is the very thing that they're guilty of. You better worship on Saturday. Whoa. All the New Testament evidence says you're not allowed to tell me that. All the New Testament evidence gives to us not worship on Saturday, but worship on what is called the Lord's Day or the first day of the week, which means on Sunday, if you would observe the Sabbath in principle, if you would observe the Sabbath in a spiritual sense, then on Sunday, the first day of the week, you need to be in church worshiping God. To close, let me say this. I love my work. I love my calling. I love what I do. What I, do. I enjoy working hard. I love progress and advancement. I love accomplishment. I'm sure many of you can relate to that. But listen, rest is as needful as toil. You've got to learn to rest. And I don't mean rest as in I'm so busy during rest that I've got to go back to work to rest. I mean, I mean unplugging. I mean spending time with God in prayer, in reflection, in journaling, in reading his word, in listening to worship music. Of course, on Sunday, being a part of worshiping God with God's people. In creation and in the Mosaic law, the Sabbath was a shadow of a rest that would come. And that rest would eventually be revealed and accomplished in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that rest is available to anyone who would place their faith in him. So if you never miss another Sabbath and you do not believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are going to go to hell. If you never miss another Sabbath 
and you do not repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus as your Savior, God's Lamb given to you for the sacrifice of your sins, you're going to go to hell because God is going to judge you for those sins which are not paid for, even if you never miss another Lord's Day. Because by faith you are saved. And that is not of yourself. It is a gift of God. So church, it's not complicated. When we get together and we study God's word, if it, if it pushes us a little bit here or if it challenge us, challenges an opinion that we might have on another issue here, listen, you can disagree with me all that you want and I can disagree with you all that I want, but at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is what God's word says. And there are people that are holding with two hands on principles or traditions or historical perspectives or whatever it is, and they're holding on with two hands because that is what they are familiar with. And maybe those things are biblical things, but maybe they're not. All things should be tested by the word of God. And if our conscience is clear, then we need to do it with all our might and with all our soul. And so hear me when I say this. Every single Lord's Day, unless something is pressing us, we should be with God's people worshiping God. You want to grow? You're going to need more than that. I mean, I know I am quite talented as a preacher. Thank you. I am not enough. You need fellowship. You need brotherhood. You need sisterhood. You need to read and pray and journal and consider your relationship with God, not your relationship with God vicariously experienced through me or through whoever. Now, I hope that I'm a help and a blessing. I hope that I'm guiding you and teaching you and growing you. But you've got to take responsibility for your own spiritual life, just like I have to take responsibility for mine. And take every possible opportunity to fulfill the commands that God has given to us. Each and every one of us. And if we were to do that, then we would be successful. Amen. Amen. 